leather isn't a byproduct because as soon as something becomes profitable, it becomes a co-product. Leather products, they're not made as some kind of waste reduction initiative by the meat and dairy industries. It's sold because it makes a lot of money. Welcome back to the Tito's Table podcast, a podcast for anyone interested in veganism or plant-based food, whether you're vegan or not. I'm Jonathan, Tito's imaginary friend. This week on the show, we're steering away from food to talk about ethical fashion. I'll be interviewing Emma Hawkinson, the activist and author behind the ethics consultancy Willow Creative Co., as well as the website collectivefashionjustice.org. But first, Val and I unpick the metaphorical sweater that is the topic of secondhand wool and leather. John and Val. Vegan wines with John and Val. Um, my landlord makes a point of uh, coming at eight in the morning. Like, I'm a real worker. I My appointments begin at eight. He's not a real worker. He's a landlord. So. Well, <laughs> there. indeed. <laughs> anyway, before my eviction, we, we should uh, get started. <laughs> Welcome back to Vegan Wines with John and Val. That's me and Val, who's an unabashed friend of pigeons. Hello. <laughs> Today on the show, we have a very interesting dilemma, a dilemma that caused me to change my mind a little bit over the course of uh, hearing people's responses. But first, we're going to open the wine of the day, which is again from Oxfam Fairtrade, again from Chile. Again from the wine collective Red Del Vino, except this time it's the Chardonnay. In the nose there's uh, notes of peach uh, supplemented with citrus notes. So Val, you've already had a taste of the wine. What do you reckon? Yeah, I like um, I like a dry white wine. I would prefer to drink red, but... Mm-hmm. It's not it's su- a good wine. It's not super dry. There's a sweetness to mm-hmm. it. We mustn't drink too much wine because this uh, is a bit of a head scratcher. This dilemma mm-hmm. today. It's also like my first drink um, because I did the. That's right. The yeah. dry January challenge, so I feel drunk already. <laughs> <laughs> after one sip, <laughs> did you, you feel um, improved? Do you feel better after the, or do you just feel superior to everyone else while you're on it? <laughs> I think I um I didn't notice that much difference to be honest. Like I think maybe my sleep was a bit better. Hmm, that makes sense. Like the quality of sleep was improved, I think, but otherwise I didn't really, Maybe um, that's just because you've been listening to Matthew Walker who maybe. says emphatically <laughs> that any drop of alcohol is gonna <laughs> f- ruin your sleep. I believe the man. I don't know. Um I, I, I care a lot about sleep, so like his words are like the holy grail uh, yeah music to my ears <laughs> yeah no i i also i'm concerned about that i i i'm i'm so useless when i don't sleep properly mm-hmm. we 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 should crack on with it we're because here to answer a, a this, pressing question yeah i it's complicated this question and also lots of very different comments uh, from people uh, in response to this question interesting post, posted on instagram yeah so we got to read those out after the interview with Emma. But I'll let you read out um, the dilemma. Okay. Dear John and Val, I buy most of my clothes from thrift stores for financial reasons, but it's a lot of wool and leather in these stores. I feel like I'm endorsing these products by wearing them, even though I didn't contribute directly to the wool or leather industry. Should I be cold and vegan or a toasty warm hypocrite? From Shivering in Chittering, England. 
I don't know if they actually live in Chittering, yeah. but uh, if they do, they must have been waiting a very long time for an opportunity to use that <laughs> pun. So very good. Uh, yeah. So how do we approach this? Maybe we should just explain first what our philosophy is in this regard. Sure. Uh, I, f- I find it a very interesting question because it's also something I wonder about. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of secondhand shopping. I think it's mm. great for environmental reasons because um, too many new clothes are produced. So sometimes you don't have a like a label that says what's in the blend of your new jacket or whatever. So I must say, if I don't if I don't really know, sometimes I buy it anyway, which I understand totally. If people do things differently, also if they buy secondhand woolen sweaters, it's a, it's a matter of like personal moral compass, I guess. I don't know, or like what you're comfortable with. Mm. I do own a few pieces of clothing that are uh, containing wool, like for instance, like the sweater I'm wearing now, which was given to me by a friend. I don't wear leather. I don't like to wear leather or it reminds me too much of um obviously it's skin so it's mm. a kind of uncomfortable i mean i'm also wearing wool right now this is a sweater that, <laughs> it's like <laughs> this is a sweater we agreed on this before <laughs> yeah no it's completely coincidental sweaters. just what i put on yeah. this morning but uh i bought this sweater 10 years ago before i was vegan i think i went vegan coming up to seven years ago now the point is i wouldn't um I wouldn't throw it away or give it away simply because I'm vegan now. But would you throw away your leather shoes, for example? I have actually, yeah. Somehow that's more gross, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Even even though the practices associated with sheep shearing mm-hmm. are very gross mm-hmm. and uh, just something extra gross about wearing the actual skin of uh, mm-hmm. an animal. And a lot of clothes... They have. It's a bit like milk in food. Just when you least expect it, there's a bit of leather added, because leather is considered a sort of luxury product. I think a lot of clothing manufacturers like to get a bit of leather into it wherever they can, even if it's just a tag to suggest mm-hmm, quality. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So I've often had that with jeans or even shoes mm-hmm. or bags where there's a little flap of leather. And oh, what that, do you do then? Wow. If there's another option and I don't need something like Pronto, <laughs> then I would avoid it. But I have also bought things and then cut off the leather because mm-hmm. it's not like that tag was driving the industry no, forward or no. something, you know. But it but, is uh, not, it, it is disturbing to you, like you yeah. don't want to wear a piece of skin on your jeans or whatever. No. Yeah, it's kind of gross. But uh, I, I do think like... By continuing to buy even secondhand items that are made out of um, animal products. And I guess secondhand is a market as well. So like it encourages, you know, as long as we see it as something that's like quality, you know, a standard of of quality and like um, not to be replaced or whatever by anything else because it's the best you can get. Um, I guess it kind of fuels this secondhand market as well. I mean, it is a business. I suppose Secondhand. my my ethical stance now is based on the current status quo. The current situation is that there are a lot of these secondhand leather and wool items, but they won't be around forever if we stop mm-hmm. buying them firsthand. Mm-hmm. So maybe um, the approach that we should espouse is to buy most of our clothes secondhand 
And if we buy something new, always make sure that it's vegan and yeah. that it's sustainable. Yeah. Because yeah. that way we're slowly changing the future secondhand market to be full of all the things that we yeah. really like. You know? Yeah. I think there's also a huge overconsumption with clothes in general. Totally, and like, yeah. um, this is not environmentally friendly to like buy new clothes every once in a while you know when you already have clothes you can wear and <laughs> or you could buy them secondhand or whatever but if you don't have much money and like your best option is to buy a woolen sweater in a secondhand store uh i think you should do it <laughs> you don't want to be cold like yeah you want to take care of yourself um, and if you're a real fashionista or fashionisto or fashionist x um <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you know you can always go to a fancier secondhand store. You know there are stores yeah. that specialize in you know designer label secondhand. Yeah. So I don't think that's an excuse to say oh, but I must. Well, I suppose yeah, you've got to be on trend. I look, I can't, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't give a, a, an authoritative answer to that because yeah. I'm just not in that world. But uh. yeah, there's a lot of options, um, but if. If you don't have access to these options for financial reasons, I think it's not a it's not being a hypocrite to buy secondhand wool. That's what I think about it. Some yeah. people may disagree. Maybe we should read the comments um after the interview, I guess. Yeah, indeed. I can we summarize our position? Basically, we think that you, shivering and chittering, are not a hypocrite to wear secondhand um, wool and leather, especially because it's, in your case, it's for financial reasons. Yeah, you should be warm. I think is a, a huge justification. I mean, we can't have veganism be some classist movement. No, no, we don't want that. So, yeah, um, we're going to explore and maybe discuss a little bit the opinions of the people who commented on this post uh, after the interview and there's a lot of them so stay tuned stay tuned a lot of people want to live in a kinder world but not everyone has the vision to lead others down that path my guest today has the gift of being able to see the bigger picture she's a young vegan activist who's got the schedule of a middle-aged media mogul She's writing three books, has a short film on the way paired with a vegan non-profit knitwear range. She's a model, an artist, a public speaker, an ethics consultant and creative director with her own company, Willow Creative Co. Joining me now from halfway across the world in Australia, it's Emma Hawkinson. Good morning, Emma. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's nighttime here, of course, but I'm a night owl anyway, so that's fine by me. Nice. Uh, on the last episode, I interviewed uh, Rachel Rabibo, who comes from the world of fashion photography and is now moving more into wildlife photography. Mm -hmm. You also have your roots in fashion, I believe, as a model. Yes. Uh, I started modeling just because I loved fashion. And then the more that I looked into veganism and the ethics of our clothes in terms of the people who make them, I became a little bit uncomfortable with being involved in marketing and selling fashion, particularly with my face, unless I mm. did things a bit differently and tried to make the industry a bit more ethical. So is that what led you to start the creative content company and consultancy Willow? Yeah. So like I said, I decided that I would have to do something different if I were to stay in fashion. 
And so first I started only modeling for brands that had values that aligned with my own. But then I began to realize that even within those brands, sometimes the behind the scenes, the ethics weren't matching. You know, there was makeup that was tested on animals for a vegan shoe brand or something like that. So I thought that a creative agency that could create content for ethical brands in an ethical way was something that was important. And at the same time, we, Willow, also started helping brands become more ethical, mostly by helping them switch from animal materials to more sustainable total ethics materials. And did you find that there was a real demand for this kind of know-how that you're offering people? It's sort of interesting. A lot of businesses and brands want to know how they can become more sustainable, especially more so than how they can become more ethical. But a lot of them want to take the easiest step. If you offer both small and large scale solutions, at least some brands take the big option, but a lot of them will take something smaller because most brands aren't ready to address the fact that, for example, you know, their materials, animal materials are the worst thing for their brand sustainability. Mm. So I think it's important that brands think beyond what's easiest to promote or changing their posters to something compostable. They're all really good steps, but they're micro solutions compared to what they could be doing. And when you come to them, are they aware of the areas that need improvement or are they not even aware of what they're lacking? Most brands, particularly because I have that focus on animal materials, most brands aren't that aware of the extent to which the products mm. are unethical for animals, but also not at all really for sustainability. They think it's almost exclusively an ethical issue often that comes with leather or wool or materials like that. Well, it sounds like you're doing pioneering work in that regard. Thank you. And the, the company uh, Willow, uh, it's named after a friend of yours, isn't it? Can you tell us about the company's namesake? Yes. So Willow is Yes, definitely a friend. She's the first lamb who I ever fostered and cared for. She's now living in a sanctuary somewhere happily as a grown-up sheep, and I visit her sometimes. She was found at a few days old in the freezing cold by herself, which isn't uncommon because in the Australian meat and wool industry, about 10 to 15 million lambs die in the first 48 hours of their life every winter lambing season, just from... Wow exposure to the cold from starvation and from neglect so from caring for willow i already was vegan and had this great care for animals but having such a close bond with a particular animal who normally is seen as just a means to make profit that really made me want to do more for animals like her well it's a lovely story on which to base your company well the name at least it's a nice name yeah um thank you Oh, and you can see more and hear more about uh, Willow on Emma's website, emmahawkinson.com.au. Now, um, one of your newest projects is collectivefashionjustice.org, and it's associated Instagram account, Collective Fashion Justice. Uh, both the website and the Instagram account are already packed with surprising and highly shareable <laughs> info the way it's packaged. Uh, is the goal of this project to educate consumers or manufacturers or both? So our organization mission is 
to illuminate the interlinked injustices that exist in fashion supply chains that harm humans, non-humans and the planet because we think that if we can uproot that intertwined harm by focusing on animal supply chains in fashion um, that impact all of these groups, we can create this total ethics fashion system and we can only do that if we educate both consumers and manufacturers because both have a really significant role to play and they only exist because of each other. So there has to be a dialogue between the two of them as well. Mm. So it's not only the consumer or the manufacturer who has to change. And you mentioned the term, in fact, a term that you coined, I believe, total ethics fashion. Yes. And that's what I meant when I described you as focusing on the bigger picture. Perhaps you can explain what this is and how it differs from simply ethical fashion and other philosophies? Yeah, so I think that right now there's a lot of different buzzwords being used to describe fashion that is supposed to be better. So, you know, sustainable fashion is prescribed to clothes with a lesser impact on the planet, but often those clothes aren't fair when we think of human rights or there's fair fashion or Mm. quoted ethical fashion that's largely about those garment workers and are they paid a living wage, are they treated well, but there are clothes that are made fairly and made by garment workers who are treated fairly but they're made of the skins of dead animals and I'd argue that they're certainly not ethical clothes. Mm. At the same time, vegan clothes aren't inherently ethical because they might have been made by a garment worker who was exploited. So it all gets a bit messy but a total ethics fashion system is fashion that considers humans, non-humans, and the planet. And I really think that, especially because there's so much intertwining between these issues, you know, in the leather production alone, animals are slaughtered, slaughterhouse workers, tannery workers, they're both often involved in a lot of exploitative practices, and it's the third most impactful material in the world. So if we're not addressing all three of those issues, we're ultimately never going to get to this ethical place that we think we are if we're focusing on one thing. You have these infographics that visualise these connections and explain where necessary. Do you design all those graphics yourself? And where do you source the information from that goes into those graphics? Yeah, I definitely think it's easier for this kind of thing to be explained visually, Mm. especially I'm a visual thinker, so I do make them just on Illustrator. And our information comes from a wide range of sources, all of which are referenced on the website, and the thing that's on our social media is on our website. Mm, That's good, because often these days uh, there's a lot of information, but uh, you need to be able to trace these sources. So it's all on your website. It's all on the website, and it all comes from peer-reviewed articles, industry sources, reputable media articles, studies, different reports. There's a lot of information, and it is hard to sift through, you know, what's fact and what's fiction. So hopefully Collective Fashion Justice being a website that has so much information labelled and referenced clearly can help make learning things a bit easier for people who want to know more about fashion and ethics. Yeah, well, I've got to admit I'm not by any means an expert in fashion or uh, sustainable fashion, but I'm learning a lot through uh, your website and your Instagram account. And, for example, learning that vegan fashion relates to the rights of indigenous peoples is something I certainly didn't think about when, you know, just going to... Mm. 
buy a pair of trousers or whatever. Yeah, I think especially when we posted that one, it is something that might seem a bit clickbaity or like a bit of a stretch. Um, but these two issues of land rights for Indigenous communities and vegan fashion, they do have, obviously not total overlap, but they do have an intersection where they meet. And we can see where that is when we consider that the vast majority of deforestation in the Amazon is due to cattle ranching for leather and beef, and that's a Harvard statistic. And according to the Australian government themselves, 54% of land clearing in so-called Australia is due to cattle and sheep grazing. So that's a lot of land. And both of these spaces are natural environments which Indigenous communities belong to and protect. But since colonisation, they've been stolen and they've been used to produce goods like leather and wool for profit. And in a study by Joseph Poor in the journal Science, we can see that data shows us a plant-based agricultural system can reduce global farmland by 75%. So It's massive, really. Enormous. So if we're moving away from animal-derived fashion and food, that's a huge amount of land that can be rewilded and ultimately that can be returned to the rightful owners of that land. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think, find their way to veganism after discovering unsettling things about how animals are treated in the food industry. Mm. It's only later that we learn about how the fashion industry is just as damaging in many ways. Mm, definitely. Like with leather, people might dismiss the topic by arguing that it's just a byproduct of the meat industry, so it's not adding any additional mm. strain on the environment. But that's not true, is it? No, so this is a really big myth that I hear almost constantly, but there's a pretty simple answer to it. Leather isn't a byproduct because as soon as something becomes profitable, it becomes a co-product. Plastic is a co-product of the fossil fuel industry, for example. Mm. Leather products, they're not made as some kind of waste reduction initiative by the meat and dairy industries. It's <laughs> sold because it makes a lot of money. It's an industry that's going to be worth about 128 billion US dollars next year. So it's incredible. Yeah. It's certainly not just a byproduct. It's definitely a financially driven industry it's also incredibly bad for the environment in in terms of the pollutants i think heavy metals is that right mm, yeah so a lot of impact associated with leather is from the farm stage which would be the same as the issues with beef but then leather also has to be tanned because skin is an organic material and for it to be able to last properly the tanning process exists to make that inorganic and the most common way to do that is with the use of chemicals like chromium formaldehyde even arsenic and a lot of these are carcinogenic and are really harmful to the workers working with them if it's not done very carefully which it's mostly not mm. but that wastewater also goes out into waterways around different tanneries and that of course has a huge impact on the environment and both human and animal communities that live near those. And I suppose those areas are more likely to be inhabited by low-income people so there's also a sort of classist factor to that. Definitely and not only low-income but largely communities of colour as well. Uh, mm. In the US mm. a large portion of the tanneries that used to be there have since been moved overseas to poorer countries 
because of the environmental oversight penalties that they'd face if they were in their own countries. So, you know, rather than addressing that problem, they've just given it to someone else. It's an almost cartoonish level of evil, really, isn't it? It's just absurd. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. Um, you're a bit of an expert on these plant-based alternatives to leather that are coming out now. Uh, at least that, that's my understanding. Um, mm. How do they compare to the conventional leather? Are they as good or are there drawbacks to them? Or is there still a long way to go? So I think first, the most important thing to talk about, because there are an enormous range of alternatives to leather now but that first alternative which is the most common one but not plant-based is just polyurethane pu synthetic leather so basically plastic yes so it's a base woven material that can be it's often acrylic it could be cotton and then it's painted with a plasticized material basically and even that which obviously is not the solution and isn't mm. ultra sustainable fashion that has about seven times less carbon emissions associated with its production as compared to cowskin leather it's far less water intensive far less land intensive so wow. even when that's not the winner that kind of just highlights how harmful animal leather is yeah indeed i mean a lot of people who would sort of try and defend leather would say well the alternatives no good for the environment but mm. yeah, that figure yeah like a lot of people argue that leather is better because it's biodegradable but even the leather industry and their studies show that it is not effectively biodegradable so that's kind of a false argument but we're also seeing more and more alternatives that are at least partially biodegradable there's genuinely plant-based alternatives now like pineapple leaf leather which is called pinutex there's leather made from mango fruit waste there's cactus based leather there's mushroom leather well these alternatives sound delicious (laughs) (laughs) and there's cork which is kind of one of the more simple and longer lasting alternatives that's been around in portugal for ages cork trees actually sequester carbon as they're harvested and i think that's kind of amazing and not looked at as often as it should be yeah speaking of waste and alternatives to leather i have a couple of sort of what would you do questions which may Mm. be a bit reductive but perhaps you might indulge me sure so uh in terms of avoiding waste and pollution isn't it still more eco-friendly to buy secondhand leather than to buy brand new ethically produced clothing. Would you ever buy secondhand leather for yourself? I think this is a good question and there's kind of two parts to how I would think about it. Um, Firstly, I think people forget there's a secret option C in this kind of question and it's that there are plenty of vegan leather secondhand goods. Mm. I have a pair of combat kind of boots that I bought secondhand and they're synthetic and they're lasting really well. So I would buy those. And the reason I wouldn't myself buy secondhand leather is because I think that wearing someone's skin perpetuates the notion that animals are objects and that skin is a material. And neither of those things are accurate or support total liberation at all. So it's something that I would not want to participate in if I don't need to. Oh, well, that's a very good point. And it's also just a bit gross to wear uh, skin, <laughs> yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, but, you know, some people might argue, you know, you can't find vegan secondhand in my area, 
in my size or in my budget. Mm. So in that case, would you say it was, you know, ethically permissible? Well, it's certainly better than buying new leather, which mm. I would never support. But I think there's also this different perspective where sometimes it's important to support new brands that are making these ethical clothes because mm. without supporting that innovation, fashion isn't going to develop that ethical way that we need it to. So there's sort of that aspect of it too, which does sometimes, you know, it does get complicated deciding between ethical innovation and sustainability and what's best. I don't know the answer to everything. No, of course, but you have actually answered my next question quite well. I was going to ask that given that secondhand clothing is always an option for now, why would you ever buy new clothes? You know, isn't mm. buying any kind of new clothes uh, sort of damaging or unethical if you can buy secondhand? But you, you made a good point there that, you know, the industry is not going to go away. And by buying these ethical items, you're supporting the people who are changing the industry for the better. Yeah, but I think at the same time, we should all be buying a lot less and the things that we buy need to be things that we really love and, you know, plan to treasure for a long time. And there are some things, you know, I will be more likely to go and buy a new pair of vegan shoes that are made from a really innovative new material than I am to buy a new pair of jeans because jeans kind of always just going to be jeans and mm. there are plenty of them that you can get secondhand. So I think it's also about weighing up that kind of consideration of what it actually is. And do you know if these more environmentally friendly uh, companies are being subsidized in the development of, you know, Pinya Techs and these other alternatives? Not by any government that I'm aware of, mm. but they'll certainly have investors right. in a lot of them. So in a private way. Yeah, would be nice. Yeah, a lot of changes in subsidies would be very nice. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about there, but I, I we're not going to start talking about food. No. Because we've still got time to discuss your book. You're writing three books, I believe, but the one that's coming out uh, soonest at the end of the year, uh, 2021, that is, is uh, Subhuman, mm. which, if I understand correctly, presents a vision of nothing less than collective liberation. Specifically, the book is described on your site as a deep dive into oppression and liberation and the history of animal consumption and commodification. Yeah. So who is the book for exactly? It doesn't sound like poolside <laughs> reading. Uh, uh, well, could be, I suppose. Uh, it's That's actually funny, because when I was researching this book, I read a very heavy recount from a slaughterhouse worker by a pool. And I took a photo of the book by the pool because I just thought it was a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. Um, well, maybe it's uh, the perfect place actually to kind of balance yeah. it because these sort of accounts uh, and this sort of theory is quite heavy. So, yeah, maybe that is yeah. the perfect place to uh, read it. Um, but, yes, the book that Subhuman... It's for a few different kinds of people, I suppose. I mean, it's for anyone, but it's mostly for people who are interested in social justice but who perhaps haven't considered the rights of animals as deeply, but it's also for people who 
are vegan and stand for animal rights, but so far more look at it from a single issue kind of perspective, but who might be interested to start to consider the interconnectedness of all oppression and so of all social justice movements. So it's really a book for anyone interested in understanding oppression more broadly, understanding speciesism, sustainability, and where we could be in the future if we kind of bring all of these things together. So it's quite a grand uh, vision, really. How long have you been working on it so far? A long time. The book's been written now and has been edited and just finished fact-checking this one. Oh, it's already finished. Yeah, publishing is just a a long process. Um, It's been fact-checked, but there'll be another round of edits. I think I, I had the idea for it in June last year, but I only really properly dug into writing it in March this year. It was kind of an idea sitting there for quite a long time and developing in my head first. I see. And uh, there's a preview of the book already available to read via your site. Uh, For the listeners, that's emmahawkinson.com.au forward slash subhuman. And I'll put that link in the podcast description. Uh, Could I read a brief excerpt from the book? Would you mind? Yeah, of course. I think this is actually the first paragraph of the introduction, so the very first words of the book. Mm -hmm. Many of us may consider that the only regular contact we have with animals is with our companion dogs and cats, and with the birds we see in the sky or on the street. But animals are everywhere. They lay on our plates, rise in our cakes, wrap over our feet, hang in our closets, fill our pillows, bubble in our soaps, They are caged in our countries, killed on our terms, paid for with our money. If we look around, their bodies are hidden in plain sight. But you don't mince your words, and that's quite a powerful opening statement. Do you think people tiptoe around these issues too much, or do you acknowledge a need for patience and diplomacy when discussing animal rights with people? Um... I think you can be both blunt and patient. Uh, on you know, my most impatient days, I wouldn't want to even write a book and spend all the time explaining something that in my mind is quite simple, that you know, no being has the right to someone else's life or freedom. But I think that we do need to have patience and we do need to be diplomatic, but I don't think that, you know, I think we should never be rude or dismissive or hateful when talking about ethics because that's counterproductive. But I do think that we need to be clear and that truth shouldn't really be hidden behind niceties just for the sake of it. If something horrific is happening, it needs to be talked about properly and it needs to be given the kind of seriousness that it deserves. Mm. And writing a book, I suppose, is the ultimate act of patience. <laughs> yeah. How many pages is the book? Well, it's about a 73,000-word book, so it's fairly in-depth. Yeah, that's quite a tome. Yes, and then the other book I'm working on, it's a similar theme, but it's a lot more broken up into different sections, and um, that will be like twenty five, thirty thousand 30,000 words, and visually a lot more kind of easy well, I look forward to interviewing you about that one, hopefully at some point. But um, <laughs> on, on this book, you've uh, Subhuman, you've already interviewed a lot of experts for the book, such as author and co-founder of VGN, Christopher Sebastian, activist Jake Conroy, conservationist and Charles Darwin's great-great-grandson, Chris Darwin, 
social psychologist, Dr. Melanie Joy, lots of um, quite big names, actually. Mm. Who was your favourite person to interview? I actually think who you first mentioned, Christopher Sebastian. I learned an enormous amount from him and everyone should follow his Instagram and read the work on his website. He's incredibly good at explaining nuanced and complex issues in a way that's easily digestible and he really forced me to consider myself as an animal and he speaks about human as a political identity which has made way not only for speciesism but for white supremacy and I think his thinking is both radical and incredibly rational and what it shouldn't be seen as radical. I think he's brilliant so he was probably my favourite person to speak to. I agree. He's a great communicator and passionate speaker. What do you hope to achieve with this book? Do you want to change people's minds or are you? is the book for people whose minds already changed and they want to be more articulate on the matter? Or I don't think that anyone can change anyone's mind. I think we can only you know, present information and arguments and people can do whatever they want with them. But I hope that people might take from it that there isn't you know there aren't these single issues in the world there's only oppression and different forms of it because I think this kind of collective liberation ideology is lacking both in the vegan movement but also in wider social justice movements so I hope that anyone interested in any kind of social justice will maybe want to build bridges and kind of ignite this wider passion for justice after reading it. Well, I can't wait to read it. And like I said, um, there's already a preview available. And if people uh, give you your email address, which I'm sure you'll be very um, kind with, you're not going to use it for anything nefarious, um, <laughs> then they get updates on uh, all kinds of things going on on your website and with the book, presumably. Yes, yes. And nothing bad going on with those emails. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> Uh, and you can find all the links to Emma's various projects and social media accounts via the podcast episode description on teacherstable.com forward slash podcast. And you should follow Emma's. Uh, you've got three main accounts now, isn't it? It's at Collective Fashion Justice. Yes. And your personal account, which you also post a lot on, is uh, at... Hakame. Hakame is... Hack, H-A-K, and then Emma spelt backwards. <laughs> is that, is that yes, right? yes. Oh, and of course, there's uh, Willow Creative Co. Yes. Is, is the third one, yeah. Yes. Okay, well, Emma, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you for asking interesting questions. John and Val. Vegan Wines with John and Val. So, um... Welcome back. We're back. Welcome back. Uh, that was a fascinating interview with Emma. Um, if only she were here to go. <laughs> Val is shrugging because she she wasn't present for the interview. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I'm sure it's good. <laughs> I endorse it anyway. Um, if only she was present to go through these comments with us because she's more of an expert on um, fashion and the latest materials and uh, ethics surrounding fashion. But here we go anyway. Oh, you want to read? No, no, you go for it. Well, we got a lot of different opinions here, uh, some from familiar faces or usernames, as well as from new commenters. Uh, some of the responses are quite long, so I'll just summarize where necessary. Uh, you can read all the comments in full on Instagram, at Teacher's Table. 
And now we've heard from plant-based Fran in the past, and he's back to say the following. My opinion is that buying second-hand items does not affect the demand to produce these products, and you're giving a second use to something that otherwise would become waste. I'm vegan for health and sustainability reasons. Animal rights activists might have a different opinion. Also, personally, I don't like to wear leather because of the smell. Hmm. And because it's a dead animal skin. Mm. Whereas I don't mind wool because the animal didn't die to give the wool. Hmm. I um, I think it's right about the smell. I forgot because I don't wear leather since years, but yeah. it does stink, right? It's, it doesn't smell Especially good. if you've got a, like a leather jacket. Yeah. Oh my god! I yeah. I had a leather jacket when I was seventeen, and I was uh, traveling in Germany. I thought I was super cool. <laughs> Uh, You're that, probably adorable. Well, maybe a little bit. No, it was my dad's. It was, it was my dad's as well. It was his seventies brown leather. Wow! Like not even dark. Like motorcycle jacket. No, 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 no. no, no. Like uh, sort of pointy collared um, disco. Funny. Light brown disco. leather jacket. Nice. I, I don't know. I felt a sentimental bond to it. You know, obviously, yeah, sure. I wasn't thinking at all about mm. cows mm. or anything like that. I wasn't even vegetarian. And anyway, all this to say it was the summertime and it sure did smell. <laughs> Our beloved Dr. Nitu, whom I interviewed in episode three of the podcast, is back with some more pearls of wisdom. She is of a similar view to Fran saying, being vegan is about doing the least harm. If you are contributing to neither the manufacture of such products nor the exploitation of animals and poor laborers, I would wholeheartedly endorse buying even non-vegan clothes from thrift stores. Less waste, less buying, and you stay warm. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. Enjoy the weather in warm clothes. Nice. I like her comments. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. That's mm. mostly true. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, in most cases, you don't have to explain yourself mo- well, when it's personal decisions um, about what ca- you're wearing. In this case, I agree with her. But, you know, you could say that about anything. You know, <laughs> If you want to eat human flesh, you don't, you don't have, have to, to explain, explain yourself <laughs> to anyone. No, but in this case, uh, I do yeah. actually agree. Mm-hmm. And I think, generally speaking, Dr. Nitu is very practically minded she's a, a a wise person with lots of experience and very intelligent so thankfully i agree with her on on that but let's go on because things get a bit uh, more contested as, as we go deeper interesting now the unpronounceable jdhws555 hmm. took a different view uh It's a rather lengthy response, uh, which I will summarize Mm -hmm. as follows. Interesting. Can't wait to hear it. I used to buy a lot of items that are expensive or harder to find in vegan form, such as Mm -hmm. belts, boots or outerwear that may contain down. I felt that sustainability and honoring the animal were adequate reasons to purchase these items and that it was better to extend the usefulness of such products than to see them in a landfill. Now I believe that most people would have no idea that an article of clothing or handbag, etc. are secondhand and that my wearing them keeps the practice of wearing animals current. Mm-hmm. So, so she, she does believe that wearing them keeps the practice of wearing okay, them current. Okay, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've also learned that sanctuaries will take fur items for their residents. Oh. And this takes care of the issue of sustainability of the product 
and honour for the victim. In sum, I now avoid acquiring personal belongings made of animals and feel that we should stop normalising wearing animals so that this becomes seen as outdated. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good point of view. I like what uh, they said about down. Mm. Like one thing I can't, I cannot sleep. I don't know about you, but I, I, I find it difficult to sleep on a pillow which contains down or feathers. Because of the knowledge or the sensation, or what? Uh, because of the knowledge, and like they they kind of stick out mm. a little bit. Like you, every once in a while, find a little feather, and yeah. um, I think about like the horror of it, like the animals being like I don't know plucked or whatever. And I think yeah. it's a lot of suffering, and it doesn't really um, it doesn't really match with like a good night's sleep for me. <laughs> <Not very laughs> like relaxing. I don't, yeah, I don't feel relaxed or peaceful when I'm like using one of those uh, pillows. I find that, yeah. That's something I don't want to do. No, I agree, but I haven't um, encountered uh, feather-stuffed upholstery in a while, so I don't know. No? But I, w- I don't think I would like that either. But uh, another user, Sky.Chang, uh, continued the conversation, uh, and then uh, it went on, but I'll just summarize what Sky said. She said uh, that she won't purchase animal skin products secondhand or not because she can, oh, because she can afford not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not sure whether denormalizing will work anyway, since the alternatives she buys are harder and harder to distinguish from the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I've th- mm-hmm. I've thought about this, and you know, I, I've I actually have a pair of sort of sport shoes, mm-hmm. uh, which are made of fake. Mm-hmm. leather in fact mm-hmm. fake mm-hmm. nubuck leather which i believe is mm. supposed to be like baby animal leather <laughs> because it's softer baby or animal leather yeah, yeah I, anyway. some really dark stuff <laughs> mm. well you know mine is vegan but it really yeah. does look like um it could be leather yeah, yeah yeah just to say that they they lasted years which is longer than many um non-vegan or synthetic ones had lasted before uh, we got two more comments to read. Oh, sorry, three more comments to read. That's all right. Go for them. I'm going to grab a little glass uh, yes. of wine. Uh, here it gets interesting. And by interesting, I mean controversial. And Bring it on. By controversial, <laughs> I mean upsetting to oh, some people. Oh, dear. Well, I don't. Well, let's see. Let's see what you, what you, what you think about this. Uh, this is from Liz Mednick, who, when she posted probably didn't think she was saying anything controversial but here we go for the vegans this might be controversial she says and also wait th- before before i start she says i'm a 33 year vegan does she mean she's 33 and a vegan or does she wow. mean she's vegan for 33 years that's that's admirable if that's what mm. she meant well anyway this i'd is... love to hear from elder vegans mm. like i want to know their i want to this know is their what secrets <laughs> this on. is what liz has to say I'm a 33-year vegan, and I wear and knit with wool. Wow. <laughs> mm. Now, some people would say you're not a vegan, Liz, but uh, I'll read on. Uh, it's carefully sourced to avoid mulesing and other abuses. And I'll pause there, because do you know what mulesing is? Yes, I know. Yeah. Um, God, it's so awful. I think my brain like wiped it from my memory. It's like when they cut the tails I had to look of this sheep. Up. I've been vegan for years. And to I never, avoid, yeah. I, I didn't know this, but um, basically they either literally cut or rip the skin from around the anus. Right. Or, that was what it was. Or 
they clip it very tightly so that it just uh, dies. The skin so just dies. So that it doesn't become infected. Well, no, yeah. Because yeah. they get worms that, and stuff. That's the intention. So the, the idea is to make the, 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 the skin around the butthole smooth and presumably wool-less. So that it doesn't get clumps of poo and stuff yeah, on it. Yeah, because they're kept in unhygienic conditions. Yeah, or even if they're not, um, they want to keep it clean and uh, they want to keep the animal alive without having to do too much maintenance. It sounds like a violation of... Oh, definitely. It's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, really disgusting uh, practice. Uh. Apparently it's outlawed in quite a lot of places, but I think it's still done in Australia, which is one of the biggest mm-hmm. exporters of wool. Anyway, I had to look that up. I'd never even heard of that. But, oh, my God. No, I've seen the pictures. And apparently they can get an infection from that and die as well. So yeah. it seems a bit counterintuitive. I mean, even from that perspective. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll continue with Liz's comment. Uh, At the moment, there is no alternative that is not destructive to the planet. Our rivers and oceans are full of microplastics from fleece and other synthetic materials that don't biodegrade. Wool biodegrades and can be thrown directly onto the land as fertilizer. If we develop an environmentally friendly alternative to wool, I'd be willing to consider giving it up. But we're not there. Hmm. I don't buy or wear leather, but it is a headache to find suitable shoes that are not plastic. My hope is that hard-wearing plant leather shoes are coming soon. Hmm. I don't know about this one, like... I personally wouldn't buy wool to knit with. Like, is is it her job to knit with? She didn't say that. I think okay. she would have mentioned that. If I mean, that was I don't her know, job. like, if her livelihood depends on it or not. But like, yeah, I mean, um, if she's employed to knit with it, like, if she's been working at some company, yeah. for, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like vegans who ride horses. You know, that also exists. Well, I I really don't think they're vegans. Well, yeah, that's the question. You I know? think they like, have a plant-based diet, but they're not vegan. Yeah, because, but that's like... Because that's, that is fundamental. That's like, you don't exploit animals. Yes. And, and, and okay, the, the the horse riders would have you think that it's more complicated than that because the, they enjoy it and they enjoy the bond between... No, I don't believe that at all. I also don't think you sit on your friend's back and like no. pull them around like that. I don't agree I, with that. I think the horse would much rather just be free. Yeah, I think so. We're going to like... If you have a like horse riding fan base, we're going to lose it right now. I'm <laughs> sorry, horse riding would be vegan. I also... Sports, yeah, so. I don't think that's vegan. Um, but like... Let's be honest, we're both wearing like, okay, secondhand or old woolen sweaters because it's winter. You know, you can also say that makes us, you know, non-vegans. Probably. I think that's a very different category than riding a living animal just for a laugh. Yeah, I mean, true. wearing clothes, especially in winter, is something you have to do, you have to stay warm. That's and the, true. And that's these true. woolen items are there, you that's know. That's true. They're secondhand, which makes them eco-friendly compared to new clothes of any kind but why does this person buy 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 wool to knit with i don't know they like i mean you know it's for me you know, i have little connection with wool but uh we discussed it in the past that food is a very personal thing for a lot of people i think if some someone has had wool in their life since they were children especially yeah. older generations uh, maybe they learned it from their grandmother or their mother grandfather or father mm-hmm. um, then it's something personal to them and uh, the, 
you know, it, like anything that you've done for a long time, if it's a hobby or a professional activity, you know, it's very meaningful. So I understand it would be hard to stop. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to make excuses like saying that there's no alternative. I'm sure if you go on the internet, you can find some biodegradable vegan wool, but I'm also sure it probably costs a lot more money than wool. Yeah, it's probably so expensive. Is, is that the problem? Is it too expensive? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if I could totally understand that. I, mean, I think there's such a thing as uh, secondhand wool, like people who take sweaters apart and reuse oh, them. Oh, if you go into the Kringwinkel in uh, Belgium, which is like a secondhand store for like everything. It's kind of like a flea market, but with a roof over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you find like wool. Yeah. You do find like wool from the... Yeah, from People's 10 years ago collections or and, even and from the 70s, like it's still packed and yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know this person at all and maybe it's not right of me to say this, but I feel like she's not allowing herself to give it up, you know, I, because she's making excuses like there's no alternative. I got to say, because I'm not an expert, I Googled it. I found an article <laughs> online that offered eight alternatives to wool that are vegan and apparently not made out of plastic hmm, so therefore sustainable or biodegradable i mean i don't know whether liz thinks these are viable for her maybe yeah. there are some qualities of wool that they don't have but i'm there must be and i'll just read the list this is from plant-based news and i'll put the link in the podcast description um something called tensile which is made from wood cellulose uh, can be used for tops jumpsuits trousers dresses the water and chemicals are reused so there is chemicals in there okay strike one the next one they have is hemp which i think is used a lot and is pretty natural organic cotton is number three soybean fiber linen bamboo something called wuko or wukoa made from coconut and hemp fiber wool and then something developed by an australian company called nulla bore fabric created using bacteria to ferment liquid coconut waste from the food industry Mm. so there's a lot of um, that's a lot of options yeah and I, i presume that's not an exhaustive list and you know probably some of these are not widely available maybe they're too expensive maybe they don't have the same qualities but i'm gonna look into this yeah I don't know. I want to say almost like on a spiritual level, although that sounds really corny. But like um, when it comes to respecting animals as individuals, um, that if you can, like it does something good for you if you avoid to wear, you know, their skin or their hair. Um, I think you gain something out of not doing that. Mm. Like you see them more as, yeah, I want to say people, you know, like you grant them personhood by respecting them enough not to use their dead remains to cover yourself i guess mm-hmm. but anyway wow. um before we move on from Liz, just one more thing i want to say she wants before she's willing to drop the wall she wants to be assured that there's an environmentally friendly alternative to wool that's vegan as well now i just want to say wool is not environmentally friendly at all you have to grow a sheep to even get some wool that's right and sheep like cows produce mm-hmm. a lot of methane and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's obviously terrible for global warming. And in fact, I think in this plant-based news article, what do they say? Yeah. Methane gas has several times the global warming potential of CO2. And the 2017 Pulse of Fashion Industry report put wool in the fourth place on its list of the fashion materials 
that had the highest cradle-to-gate environmental hmm. impact per kg of material. Hmm. So if it's num- Interesting. number the fourth place of all fashion materials that are worst for the environment. That's really interesting. Lots of people think... Of, I, I knew already that leather wasn't um, environmentally sound. Like, it takes a lot of chemicals to process it, I think. Um, but That's I didn't right. notice yeah. about wool. But yeah, this makes sense. Uh, she also wants hard-wearing plant leather shoes. That must exist. Maybe it's made out of plastic, though. I don't know. But anyway, I think Liz... If she's not completely satisfied now, she need but wait a short while before these kind of products are common. Because I've seen a lot of press releases recently about quite big companies going that direction. So I think we're on the way there. Yeah. Oh, I hope that somebody asks a question about lab-grown meat, because I want to talk about that. And the Mm. ethical implications of lab-grown meats. Well, if you're wrestling with that issue, please send, yeah, send please it to send us. Yeah, please send us a question. Dying to talk about this. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone send that to us so we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, two more. Um, Leisha. Leisha says, I struggle with decisions similar to yours. She's talking to shivering and chittering regarding clothes, accessories and furnishings. My primary conflict is in resolving the decisions I make which may harm the planet. Hmm. Since petroleum-based products do not biodegrade and remain in our soil and water for many generations, my compassion in these types of decisions is primarily for the next generation. Mm. I think she means next generation of humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, I find vinyl products marked as vegan the most offensive. My second concern is for the labourers who made the item. Mm -hmm. Then I weigh multiple factors. The function of the piece, the longevity of the material, whether or not it's repurposed, etc. Mm -hmm. My methods are far from perfect. When the end result is me choosing the skin of a once living being, I treat the item with extreme deference for the life given. Although mm, given or the taken. life wasn't given, was it? <laughs> no, it was taken indeed. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's more or less. Yeah, I mean, except for the life given, I can um, relate to the sentiment. Like, I also think a lot about waste and, uh, yeah, as we said earlier, like the use of resources. Um, and I don't like waste and like overconsumption and so on. So, yeah, yeah. it's a good thing to think about how long an item is going to last. And in terms of um, the laborers as well, that's why yeah. we like to buy ethical yeah. fashion, not just go to H and M. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Even I think it, the problem in general is overconsumption. Like if you um, just consume what you need in a like reasonable way, you're probably okay. Mm. And finally, and I love this one, uh, Forest Fairy XO has delivered some real talk to the discussion. She says, most of these comments are terrifying, saying that they're (laughs) vegan, but they knit or wear wool. Ew! Y'all ain't vegan then, laughing my ass off. (laughs) I think buying secondhand is fine. You're not contributing to anything bad. And you're supporting a charity, helping someone who might not have money or whatever. I think she's referring to charity shops in the UK, Mm -hmm. uh, which are often 
for a particular charity. Candidates. Yeah. Plus, it's using a product that would otherwise go in the bin. It's more just don't buy it straight from a store because then you're actively creating demand, which isn't good. What else is there to say? I think this comment says it all. It's very succinct, more concise than any of the other commenters, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it is a good point. Um, you know, veganism is about not exploiting animals. Yeah. So indeed, knitting, wearing new wool, you know, even if you knitted it yourself, I I think that we're forgetting the whole point there. Yeah, it's not a purity thing. Like, um, no, it's not about being a purist. It's just about avoid it whenever you can, and whenever yeah. you. It's not like a big necessity to consume animal products i mean uh, again we're talking about like practicability all... we're not yeah. saying go out in the cold no naked no. <laughs> <laughs> we're saying secondhand wall is permissible as far as we're concerned yeah that's what we've agreed on but well um, yeah yeah it's not perfect but i think it's about the context we live in today uh you know i also appreciate some vegans don't want to use it because it's from an animal and that's disturbing to them And That's I, also fine. That is totally, I totally agree with that. But for people who can't afford to buy newfangled, sustainable, ethical, in every way mm -hmm. clothing. That can get very expensive. Very expensive. As I was saying before, I don't know if I cut it out in the final edit, but uh, I went into a shop and came out a much poorer man, <laughs> much more ethical, more, more ethically dressed, but much poorer man. And I can't sustain that, you know, financially. Uh, so I'd much rather go the second-hand route, yeah. not, not have any impact, essentially, that hasn't already been made. Reduce, recycle, reuse. What else is there? I don't know. <laughs> um, go vegan. Go vegan. <laughs> If you aren't already. If you have a dilemma for us to discuss, simply submit it anonymously using the contact form on teachostable.com forward slash contact. Yeah, make it really difficult for us. <laughs> Now, this is usually where I play a clip from the next interview, but there is no next interview yet, as this is a five-part series. If you've enjoyed these five episodes, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the podcast's triumphant return. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.